0: Welcome to Wake Forest University Department of Counseling Podcast. I'm Dr. Bob Nations, and with me is my esteemed and dear colleague and co-host,
1: Dr. Shannon Warden. I love it when you call me your esteemed. You like esteemed colleague?
0: Well, you are esteemed, I am esteemed. and I mean, you are anyway. dear. Yeah, <laughs> we, we so enjoy each other. And I and do our faculty enjoy you, Bob. So, I really so do. close, and in all, all of us. Yeah.
1: We said in uh, part one with Dr. Cheyenne Carter that we would have her back, and this is part two where Cheyenne's going to talk to us about private practice and uh, just giving, some, giving students some pointers, really, I think is where we're getting ready to go, Bob. But We're super excited. Just once again, if you, if you missed the first uh, segment of Cheyenne's interview, go back and give that a listen. Uh, she was talking about networking and just really the goodness that can come from that, how to do it. Uh, so go back and listen to that. But um, just she's, Bob, we, you and I know it, mm-hmm. one of our great faculty member here in the oh, Department yes. of Counseling. Yes helps in the in fact Shane, what do you typically teach give listeners often up. I
2: teach the professional orientation class and then clinical mental health counseling and um, sometimes practicum and internship
1: mm-hmm. awesome so for future students that's you may get to have Dr. Carter in that capacity uh, but uh, just so y'all know we're always telling our, our listeners uh, you know just this hopefully our podcast helps you understand more about our faculty and understand about our programs clinical mental health counseling school counseling we offer master's degrees in both of those uh, in both our online program and our uh, campus, bricks and mortar campus as well. Cheyenne, I'm ready. I want to know about private practice. You, you tell us a little bit about yours first mm-hmm. and then kind of uh, take, take us back to some nuts and bolts. What do students need to know? Mm-hmm about private practice. So start with just... Well, I appreciate
2: you guys inviting me back. One of the things we work with with clients often is unfinished business. And after Mm -hmm. our first interview, I feel like we still had unfinished business in conversation we still wanted Mm -hmm. to have about private practice. So um, my background specifically around private practices, I've owned two different private practices, one in Texas and then my practice here in Winston-Salem has been going for about three and a half years. Um, and in that private practice, I see ages 18 and up now, although I used to see ages 3 and up. So I find as I get older, my my uh, age bracket tends to narrow a little bit. Um, and I do about half of my work with couples and then half with individuals. Um, so that is um, my background in the private practice world. Um, I also do a lot of... Um, I wouldn't say official consulting, but a lot of conversations with people who are wanting to open private practices. I thought about moving into the consulting role a little bit more officially. But I love talking with people Mm -hmm. about business. I love talking with them about how to be successful with it. And I find a lot of students really have an interest in going into private practice following um, the field. There's a lot of beliefs that private practice is the most lucrative area. It's the one that has the most freedom and that you can just make your own hours and do all of these things, which with any piece of information, there's always some truth to it. Um, There is a truth that private practice can be um, very financially stable. There's also the truth, depending on how you set up your business, private practice can also, you know, you end up with salaries around what you would get in agencies. Mm -hmm. Um, You have expenses, you have self-employment taxes, and so you really have to make more in private practice to equal a salary that you would make in an agency sometimes. Um, So I hear those reasons as students wanting to go into the field, and like I said, there's some truth to a lot of that. You can make your own schedule, um, and you also have to fill your calendar. And so sometimes what that means is offering um, sessions in the afternoon and in the evenings and on Saturdays um, to kind of match what the client need is, um, what the demand is in the market. So for students who want to go to private practice, I always tell them, go for it. This is so exciting. It is, you know, I love it. Um, it's probably the only thing I would do. I like being my own boss. But I think it's important to have a lot of discernment and wisdom about when, when to do that. And so my first uh, round with private practice, I actually worked for private practice, and I really encourage students to consider that as their first step. If you're going to learn how to do something, I think learning how to do it underneath master's makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's lots of private practices that will employ people part-time, or you can be a contract counselor, um, which means you may even just see three or four clients a week at a private practice. I know that something that was helpful for me, the first private practice I worked at was um, we had an exchange kind of agreement where she offered me free supervision, and then I gave her a free hour a week of office work. And so I did a lot of shredding. That was back before most <laughs> things were paperless, and so I shredded a lot of paper. But in doing that, you get to see a lot of documentation, and it was a practice that took insurance. And so I got to see a lot of what that looks like and the, the billing process process. Um, watching scheduling sometimes I'd be answering phones and so you really got to see kind of the ins and outs and that was a group practice so there were about 14 15 other therapists and so that was to me is was a really really good way to go was to learn from someone who'd been doing it for a long time she had a great reputation I could see all the different connections she made and I was able to model part of what I do after what she does Mm -hmm. and so I say first thing you know yeah. You know, keep it in your mm-hmm. mind and, and learn about it. Read the books. Um, you know, there's a lot of great blogs and podcasts about private practice. So immerse yourself in it, but really consider the wisdom of of waiting. Um, some states you can't have a private practice until after you're fully licensed. So after that, um, after your your master's degree, many times in, in states you have to have supervised experience. Well, every state you have to. It can be between 2,000 and 4,000 hours. A lot of states won't allow you to have a private practice until you finish that. Some states you can. And so I tell students, just because you can do something doesn't mean it's the best option. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, consider how maybe you can use some of those that time after graduation to build your experience with another successful practice.
1: Right. Really see that as a continuation of your training. Mm-hmm. Even, as you said, to learn under masters who people already have figured out, the ups and downs, the challenges, rather than you just jumping off and thinking I can do this. Maybe you can, but better to spend some time studying that.
0: Mm-hmm. And think about and those are some good suggestions for students that are thinking of going into private practice to to make sure you do check out your uh, state uh, licensure expectations and uh, issues around private practice because working with students from. Many states in our programs, um, it's it's it, we find just the the difference varies between state to state on so many levels in yeah. so many areas.
1: I do think for some uh, people, pr- that idea of private practice is kind of romanticized or mm-hmm. idealized, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know, and Shane, you know, wait, there's some challenges to this. You mentioned already, yes, you've got flexibility in your schedule, but that still doesn't mean you're going to work less. You're going to work as much and more really, depending on what your charges are and what's reasonable for your market, you're going to work as much and more to um, balance out sometimes with what you would make working for someone else.
2: Absolutely. And there's different ways that you can configure your business. I mean, you can be um, a practice that takes lots of insurances. I find most practices that take many different insurance plans Obviously, they can fill up their calendars faster because there's more of a pool of clients who are looking for someone who takes Blue Cross Blue Shield or Aetna or Cigna or some of these, Tricare, some of these really common ones. Um, Obviously, with that, you're going to have more paperwork. um, You're going to have a reimbursement that's less than what your typical rate probably is. Um, but you're going to have a bigger pool to, to pull from. Um, and that's also different. I mean, state to state, I see you know reimbursement rates for one insurance company in one state can be really, really different than what it is for another state. So that's another reason why talking to people in private practice and getting a sense of what insurances are good to work with, who has good reimbursement rates, where should you start, um, makes a lot of sense. You also can um, – I know some practices that just take maybe like the two most popular, most common insurances – in the city and they can fill their practice that way. You also can do private pay, which is where you just have your, your stated rate and people pay that. Um, obviously with that, you're going to, you're going to have a clientele who, who needs to be able to afford that. Um, some clinicians just do that. Some of them have that, and then also have a sliding scale where they adjust their rate for what the client can pay. So there's lots of different ways to do it. And, you know I think the more experienced you are the, the the more specializations you may have you can put you can position yourself in a higher demand um, and so again that's where I go back to students who are coming straight out of a program. Um, you do have a certain level of competency and we wouldn't have graduated you if we didn't think you did um, but the de- the demand may not be quite the same. Someone may be looking for someone who has 20 years of experience um, and so you just have to consider all those different factors.
1: Mm. Let's talk um, a different type of logistics now, too. What about space? That's expensive in itself. How do you figure out space?
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because I've paid lots of different rates of, of space. Like my what I pay here compared to where I was paying in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is about maybe 35. I pay about 35% off of what I was paying in Texas. So I really enjoy that here. It's not as painful every month when I write that rent check. Yeah. Um but you've got to look at, you know, you're looking at the cost of space. You're also looking at accessibility of space, um, accessibility for clients. You know, if you're working with clients, um, are, you, are you near a bus stop where people can use public transportation? Um, some clients really prefer confidentiality and, and consider that when they're looking to see where your location is. I know even here in Winston-Salem, we're getting ready to have a huge shutdown of business 40. And so there's a lot of practices that are right off that oh, edge yes. of downtown. And I really have thought, like, I wonder how that's going to impact their businesses. Because everyone wants mm-hmm. to avoid that area. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's something that you can't plan for if you don't know that the whole highway is going to be shut down for, what, like two years? Two it's going to be years, miserable. Yeah. Um, but all, all of those factors play in as well. Of, of, if a client, you know, there's there's tons of clinicians in the area. And the question is, are there going to be enough clients who choose you? to help you have a sustainable practice. So you've got to think of a lot of different pieces. Mm.
1: Including, I know some folks will office share. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you had experience with that, or do you got any tips for listeners on that? Yeah, that
2: that is actually what I do. So I'm in a suite. There's three offices, and um, there are... About six of us that share space, two of them being other faculty here at Wake Forest, Dr. Caceres and Dr. Um, Forty, um, which is really great, too. Um, And then actually a couple of uh, the primary person I started sharing office space with was one of my PIs here in the Wake Forest Counseling Program. Um, And so I actually met her through a class that I was teaching so, you, you know, you want to consider multiple things. You know, I like the balance of um, I don't see kids, and a lot of my clients are coming for couples and individual, and I didn't really want an environment where there are a bunch of kids in the waiting room. It just changes the, the, the um, climate a little bit, I think. And so I don't think anyone I share office space with sees kids other than Dr. Casera sees teenagers. But I see teenagers every once in a while, too, so that's okay. Um, so that was a piece I considered just you know uh, do people pay their rent on time I don't carry the primary lease on my on the practice that we're in the building um, but we've had some other people office share with us who don't pay their rent on time and so that can be frustrating and, yeah. and, and difficult when you're still having to pay the rent
1: right and you know as, as you are and I think a lot of counselors I'm interested I do this myself I work a couple of different jobs and so when you think about, as you said earlier about the paperwork and now you've got to worry about somebody paying and you're trying to make it balance with another work that you do, I mean there are a lot of headaches, potentially, potential headaches that um, students or clinicians who are thinking private practice should consider. Back to really ask a lot of questions, study the resources that are available so that you can have anticipated some of these challenges beforehand. Um, there's a lot of potential headaches, but then also a lot of potential joys. Which leads me, Bob, i got to
2: mm-hmm. know, why do you do it? Why do you do it? Why, why do you do it? I just, you know, one of my top work values is autonomy. And so, I mean, faculty life, um, I think, matches that well because we have a lot of autonomy as faculty members. But I just like, I like creating my own thing. I like being my own boss. I like going you know I I can open up my schedule and see more clients if I start feeling overwhelmed I just batten down the hatches and let some of my clients terminate I don't add in anybody new so I can really control my I can't immediately close I can't immediately control my schedule and then I'm not going to just stop seeing clients but you know if I'm feeling overwhelmed I can I can um, I can slow down my pace a little bit Um, but I just I love having my own creation I think it's really about my creativity and how I express it in the world.
1: I find that for myself too, Bob. And mm-hmm. I, Bob, you do. I do too. You still do consulting, and you've been counselor, faculty. You, we all kind of mm-hmm. understand this, but yeah. um, you know, it is nice to have balance. And, and what about really me is. at the core of that? Do I feel fulfilled exactly. and balanced, and do I have freedom to, you know, where I'm low, mm-hmm. find an offsetting factor for myself, or offsetting health or self care? You know, and, and it's it's good. I think that is um, an important uh, and even a drawing point for future counselors of, you know, the flexibility that is available. But the hustle that is needed as well, the ability to manage, Mm -hmm. um, the ability even probably, Shane, we should pick your brain on this too. Even, I know we're already talking about space and payment and insurance, but that's a lot of business mindedness you Mm -hmm. need as well and not everybody has that skill set
2: that's right and that's why to me you know some people do some people want to um continue and explore more resources most cities have a small business administration location that's a it's a federal kind of agency i guess they would call themselves um, and they have chapters and branches in most cities and so most of those will do free business coaching i've done that at a couple different um, locations and so that was helpful in helping me kind of put together a business plan and just kind of think through some things talk through some things. Um, but I think the piece that you also have to be able to hold on to, too, is that you're just going to have inconsistent um, income. You know, you you don't know how much you're going to bring in every week. Um, if you go on vacation, the vacation's going to cost money, and you're going to lose whatever money you would have made that week. I, I get creative with that. I typically take my vacations from Wednesdays to Wednesdays. so. The week that I'm leaving, I can see clients Monday and Tuesday, and the week that I get back, I can see clients Thursday and Friday. So there's very few weeks that I'm not bringing anything in. Um, But you have to be comfortable with that and be in in a a life space that that um, still kind of meets your needs.
1: Yeah. It's not just... Uh, so easily had I mean there's a lot of work a lot of hustle absolutely
2: absolutely and stress and just I mean this last week I was like oh I had a huge week and then I looked at my next week and I was like where are all my clients this is interesting I have a lot of clients that come every other week um some that come once a month and I was like well this is interesting you know Mm -hmm. this like you know huge week those are my top ones in a long time and then the next week I'm like what in the world and I'm like okay well think about that how's that going to play into you know financially what this month's going to look like um and it all kind of shakes out in the end um, but I think students, again, it's just, you know, having conversations, talk with multiple people in private practice, get lots of different perspectives because there's lots of different ways to do it. And so really making sure that you're doing your research before you have kind of this pie in the sky idea that you're just going to go out there and make a million dollars. I mean, like I said, I mean, you can do well in private practice, but you're probably not going to, you're probably not going to become a billionaire. So make sure that you've got some realistic <laughs> expectations. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, Cool.
1: Bob,
0: that's oh. all I've got. You got any other questions for Cheyenne? No, uh, unless you have anything. Yeah, that comes no, to I mind think that that kind of like, this yeah, is wraps so it helpful, in. and mm-hmm, I, yes. I hope our students, yeah. you know, um, and potential students will hear this. That this yeah. still and, and, and I like how so encouraged you are about yes. uh, what you do, and encouraging folks who's are, st- who are still thinking about private practice to continue yes. to think that way, and to realize the reality of it of, of the hard work and preparation that needs to go into it as well. So mm-hmm. that's that's really nice to hear.
1: Well, Shane, we look forward to having you back. You Absolutely. Back. Anytime. You can you. On, we can count on it.
2: Anytime. Yes. Part three. Woo. <laughs> All right, Bob.
0: Yes. did it again. Did it again.